Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Beth Azor. Thanks for being on the show, Beth. Thank you, Whitney, for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Uh, Beth has over 35 years of experience in retail. And I'm, I'm excited today to get her thoughts uh, on just retail investing industry and, and post-COVID and why she thinks the three elf words will continue to populate the retail space around the country. Uh, and so, Beth, welcome to the show. I'm looking forward to, to hearing your take, especially that much experience in this industry. I'm, I'm looking just to learn, you know, from people like yourself, and, and I know the listeners are as well. So, welcome. Tell us a little about that 35 years of experience and, and maybe, you know, what you've done during that time a little bit. And let's dive into retail uh, and what's happening right now. Sure, Whitney. Uh, yeah, I started uh, 35 years ago. I joined a third-party firm that did all asset classes, but I gravitated into retail and I became a leasing rock star. So I canvassed and prospected and I was able to take A, B, C, or D level shopping centers and find tenants for them. And that made me, you know, kind of a wanted person because we all have vacancies and all, you know, all of our investors and our clients have vacancies. So I always tell folks that want to get into investing in retail, you know, they say, where, where should I start first? And I say, well, you know, and again, if these are younger people looking for a career move, I say, you want to learn leasing because if you can figure out how to bring a tenant to the building you know, then that's the most important thing because architects and bankers and uh, developers and construction people, you know, they wouldn't have a job in the retail arena if we couldn't, if there weren't people like us that couldn't figure out how to bring the tenants to the site or to the building. So I was in leasing for my whole career and then my partner, or at the time my boss, I worked for him, uh, he started buying some deals and he would come to me and say, hey, do you want to put money in the deal? And um, I like to spend money, Whitney. So I never had any money. So the first time he comes to me, I'm making, you know, I think that first year I was making eighty, ninety thousand $90,000, which was a lot of money, you know, 20 years ago. And it's a lot of money today, but back then it right. was especially. And they, uh, and I said, no, sorry, I don't have any money to invest. And I watched him buy a deal, lease up a few spaces, refi out, and then everyone got their original capital back. And I like watched it on the sidelines thinking, you know, I can't let that happen again. And then about six months later, he comes to me, we're going to buy another deal. Do you have any money to put in? And again, I didn't have any money. <laughs> and he's like, and now I'm making a hundred grand. He goes, what are you doing with your money? I'm like, well, there's a Jaguar sitting out in the parking lot. <laughs> and we went on that Hawaii trip and he was just shaking his head. And then the third time he came again, I don't have any money. And he literally took me by the neck, Whitney, to a local bank. And he co-signed a $50,000 note for me. I invested the 50. We refied out of the deal six months later. Everyone got their money back. I paid the bank back. We owned that uh, shopping center for 
15 years, 15, 18 years, and I made over a million dollars in distributions from that borrowed, co-signed $50,000 note. Then I was, you know, I was hooked, right? So I then started putting money, yeah, I started putting money away and, you know, continued to buy with him. I ended up, I became the president of that company. I left that company after 18 years because I was a single mom of a four-year-old and I wasn't really at home as much as a single mom should be. So I said, I'm going to, you know, get away from running this big company, went out on my own and started buying deals on my own account raising money, you know, all the stuff that your listeners do, syndicate deals. And, um, and yeah, so now I own six shopping centers in South Florida. The value is about 80 million. And I'm very bullish on retail. I'm very bullish. In the middle of COVID, I'm still bullish on retail. Well, let's talk through that. Uh, and I appreciate that, just how you got in, in, into this industry. And, and, you know, I appreciate you talking about you were a, a leasing rock star early on. It makes so much sense. If you can't get tenants in there and good ones, your, your property is not going to be very valuable, is it? Uh, and so uh, it makes so much sense and how that skill has, has, you know, helped you through this industry or just grow in real estate. So, uh, but retail specifically, you know, maybe let's back up a little bit and say, you know, even a year ago, up to eight months ago, you know, how was the retail business? And then let's kind of move forward uh, into what happened and where we're at now. Sure. So eight months ago, when I would be on podcasts like this, people would say, well, online's taking over retail. Like, how could you be in retail? Right. Mm. And I said, well, and then I would say, I say, guess how, what percentage there's $5.4 trillion of sales in retail a year ago. What percentage do you think is online sales? So Whitney, what do you think of the 5.4 trillion? What percentage do you think was represented by online retail sales? Um, I'll put you on the spot. Did you say 15? 15. So I hear numbers from 15 to 50, right? Guess what? 7%. So a year ago, a year ago, it was 7%. And then what I would say to the people in the audience who are, you know, I'm about to turn 60. So, you know, around my age, guess what? In the 1960s, there was this, this retail tool called the catalog. I don't know, Whitney, if you're young enough to remember or you're old enough to know. Okay. Sears catalog, Spiegel catalog, right? Well, that represented at that time, 10% of retail. So not, I'm not. Um, saying that we should ignore online sales? Of course not. But there's plenty of room in the ocean for both bricks and mortar, which is shopping centers, and the online sales. So now what happened with COVID? Well, the government shut down all of our retailers and restaurants, like government mandated order. So I was a mess. (laughs) thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen, right? What are my tenants going to do? And, um, but what we found out is smart entrepreneurs, you know, I think, I don't remember, there's, there was someone, there was a quote that some famous person said is never waste a crisis. So smart entrepreneurs can come up with innovative ideas. So you saw all kinds of things. In California, you see people cutting, barbers and stylists cutting hair out on sidewalks. You know, you see um, 
Walmart having uh, drive-in movie theaters in their parking lots. The restaurant industry completely turned on its end and, you know, curbside and pickup and, you know, uh, the, the extra uh, attention with drive-throughs, all that, you know, ghost kitchens where the restaurant becomes a ghost kitchen, meaning there's no diners, but a bunch of restaurants take over another restaurant and they're selling pizza out of it. They're selling sushi out of it. So we, we saw a lot of innovation. It's still, we're, you know, the, the, the jury's still out, obviously, because there's a lot of markets that are still not reopened fully. Most markets in Florida, our indoor dining is up to 50% capacity. And um, bars, I think, are at 25%. Gyms, I think, are still um, at a lower percentile. So we, we are still in a, in, a, in a mode of uncertainty. But what, basically what I see where I've got my studio gyms doing CrossFit in the parking lot, of all of my tenants, I have over 150 tenants, I've lost two. I lost wow. in back in March, right. I, in, back in March, I lost um, a foot massage, like spa lady. She called me crying. I said, Juliet, you know, we don't even know what's happening. I know what's happening. Like she, she wanted to give me her keys and before Mar April 1st. So she was way ahead of everyone else. And then two weeks ago, a hair salon. Other than that, my restaurant, I have, I have an ice cream guy that is, that is only open 50%. And his sales are better than pre-COVID. So wow. if they're smart, entrepreneurs provide a good service and provide a quality product, they're going to be fine. Now, you know, but I'm in South Florida and I'm blessed to be in South Florida because of weather, you know, the taxes, you know, all, we, we are, I'm very, very blessed. I know that there are other parts of the country. I just got off of, of a call with people from New York and, and Manhattan that's, that is telling a, a much different story. So I do think that if you are a retail investor, especially for the next seven months with COVID, it would be, it's much better to be a retail investor in the Sunbelt states because our restaurants can still operate with outdoor dining. You know, the other creative thing that a lot of re, um, retail investors and landlords did is we opened up our parking lot. You know, we shut down the spaces in front where people would pull up and park. We shut them down and put people's tables and chairs and, and umbrellas out there. So um, we're able to do that. We're, we can continue to do that through the winter. Um, the win you know, I just, on this last call I was on, Danny Meyer from Shake Shack, um, a, a, a peer of mine said that he's shut down all of his restaurants in New York until further notice because now they're entering, you know, the cold season and you know, you, you can only have so many heaters out there with that outdoor dining. Right, right. Wow. So what about these uh, three Fs, uh, yeah. three F words that will continue to populate the retail space? What is that? So um, the, the four F words were food, fitness, physicians, and um, food and fun. So we're still going to have physicians. It doesn't matter. People are still going to want to go to their doctors. Even if they can have telemed, we're still going to be going to our physicians. And there's a little play, you know, with the letters there. Food is still going to, still going to happen. We have had a step back. So in 2017 or 18, 
dining out exceeded eating at home for the first time in our world history. Like dining out was higher in traffic and sales than eating at home. During COVID, that switched up, right? So now we're back to eating at home is higher. But once people stop working from home and we have a vaccine and people feel safe, I'm already seeing it in South Florida. Outback Steakhouse is one of our family favorites. And we went last Friday night and there was a 45 minute wait. So um, as, and, and they're only at, they're at capacity 50% indoor and then they had a full outdoor dining area. So people will go back out to eat again, I, I have no doubt. So food is still gonna be fine. Physicians will still be fine. Fitness, I believe that health is the winner past COVID. I think I have myself, my friends, I've been swimming, I've, I did a bike challenge. So many more people have been getting out of their house and, and they were felt stuck. They wanted to do something, they wanted to exercise. The gyms weren't open. So I think boutique fitness, which is the spin cycles, the core yoga, the CrossFits, I think they're all going to be fine because they're going to be smaller and they'll be able to do the um, cleanliness sanitization thing. The big gyms, you know, the jury will be out on if they're going to be able to keep the places clean to overcome the consumer fear. The one that I don't think is going to win is going to continue to win is the fun. I don't know how many moms are going to let their kids go jump in a bounce house or a trampoline and feel confident that that operator has cleaned up all of the creases and crevices of, of those, those types of uh, uh, fun and entertainment type things. So that was of the four Fs, the one F that I think is going to be, continue to be hurt for a while would be the fun. Yeah, I can imagine those, you know, the big pits with all the balls in it that the kids like to jump in, uh, <laughs> imagining yeah. trying to ensure that's clean. There's, there's just not much way to do that. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's so interesting, though. I, you know, when you gave those, the four Fs, you know, I was thinking, okay, which one's it going to be? Uh, and, and I thought, okay, you know, food is coming back. It does seem a restaurants. And it's interesting, like you talked about, people are eating uh, in more now, but it's probably going to flop back over the next year or so anyway, depending on what happens, but, uh, but most likely, um, as far as retail specifically, you know, why retail over other asset classes like multifamily or self-storage, or, I mean, we could go on and on, but you know, why was that one, the one that, you know, you picked and, and you've set on? So when I first started leasing, um, I was leasing office buildings and I thought it was the most boring thing ever. Oh, you know, I was dealing with a bunch of attorneys and like financial investment firms and they, you know, these guys would be all like buttoned up and they would come and look at the space, 3000 square feet and they had multiple partners. I just thought they were very dry and just not fun. And then I, then we got a couple shopping centers to lease and I got to, you know, talk to the bagel shop and the family that ran the bagel shop. And I got to talk to you know, back blockbuster video back years ago, you know, different national tenants, retail tenants. And I found it was fascinating that I got to learn about all, I, how does a sushi restaurant open? How does a dry cleaner open? And I got to learn and I just found it more fun and interesting. And I said, and right away within six months, I remember telling my boss, we need more shopping center listings because I'm going to stay in this. I really like that. And I'm not a okay. shopper. So it, it, it went anti, like I'm not a person to go to the mall and shop all day, but I really liked the variety 
I found it interesting and fascinating. And I loved the whole entrepreneur journey. You know, a lot of the people that I deal with, especially in South Florida, Whitney, you know, they come over from different countries. I'm helping them achieve their American dream. I like that. That's yeah. way more fun than leasing office space. Now, um, I used to, people would, I, I do invest in multifamily with a sponsor. I'm a passive investor. I just give them my money. They do well. But I used to say uh, early on, I don't want to do anything with a bed in it. <laughs> like, I don't want to have to evict anyone that I'm evicting out of their bed. So, um, so early on, I was like, and I, you know, at this point, I don't want to learn a whole new asset class, but I believe in diversifying. And a, uh, one of my partners just last week said, you know, we should be investing in some REITs. What do you think about the mall REITs? I'm like, so let's stay away from the mall REITs. I said, but self-storage REITs, I think that's a good idea. So I'm all, I'm all about investing in, and diversifying, but for me to like live and breathe what I'm doing, like, you know, what Buffett said, you know, invest in what you know, I know retail. Gene Trowbridge and Jonathan Nay, founding partners of the top syndication firm, Trowbridge Law Group, LLP, have a legal team with over 50 years of combined experience in real estate syndication and the practice of real estate securities law. Over this time, Gene and his partners in several past firms and currently have helped clients raise close to $5 billion in offerings by empowering entrepreneurs to raise capital legally. To learn more about Trowbridge Law Group, LLP, visit their website at trowbridgelawgroup.com or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Makes complete sense. Uh, you know, and for the passive investor that's listening right now that says, uh, you know what, I, I've always loved retail, but I've been pretty scared recently, you know, through all this, you know, um, you know, how do I move forward? You know, do, am I going to continue investing in retail? What are some red flags now maybe that I should be watching for that I didn't know to look for before, didn't have to look for, say, you know, six or eight months ago or a year ago? Well, I will tell you what's hot, 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 right? And it's kind of obvious when you think about it. Drive-through buildings are anything with a drive-through is hot, hot, hot. So if any of your listeners want to dip their toe in and they can find in their markets on a hard corner, meaning at an intersection with a light right on the corner, let's say, uh, you know, a fast casual restaurant, a Taco Bell, a Panera, a Starbucks or whatever that they're selling and you can buy a tr like a bond, a triple net bond lease and you just get cash flowing money. I would say that that is a safe investment. They're very expensive. You know, you're not getting a, you know, 10, you're not getting a 12% return on those. So, but that you could tip your toe in the water. If you want to do a little more work, go find a bank branch that maybe recently closed. I don't think they're long for the future. Maybe there's a bank branch across the street from the Taco Bell that I just talked about that's sitting empty. Buy that, it's got drive-throughs and you'll have to you know, hire a local broker in the market and split it and do, you know, and maybe you can do two drive-throughs or maybe that won't work with the stocking. I'm not sure, the cars stack up, but any free, you know, single unit buildings on hard corners at lights in where you look around and you see Chick-fil-A's down there 
and Starbucks is down there and Chipotle's down there and Panera's in the area and there's a Target nearby, Trader Joe's, you know, the high-end grocery store, that's where you start. And just start with one building and then see if you like it. What's your uh, typical business plan? Or let's say, you know, say a year ago and has that changed now? So I buy, I love to buy 100% leased multi-tenant shopping centers, strip centers. So I like, I don't care about anchors. I don't want to compete with all of the big REITs that are going after grocery anchored. So I like um, strip centers. I've done, I built one that was three, a Starbucks and two tenants. I built another one with five. And then I have purchased, you know, ones with 17 and 20 tenants. I like them where they are parallel with me to the street. I don't want U-shaped shopping centers because U-shaped shopping centers create elbows, which are very hard to lease. Coming from, right, I, my, from, you know, ground zero, I'm leasing all. I want to be able to lease. So I like strip centers that are parallel to a very high traffic street. And I like them to be 100% leased because I find that that 100% leased shopping center, the rents are too low. That was an owner who's owned it for 10, 15, 20 years. He's friends with the tenants. He's very happy. The, the deal's cash flowing. Maybe he doesn't have a mortgage. And he doesn't want to tick off these tenants that he's become friends with. And, um, any t- and, it, and again, if it's, I like high income markets, which means high disposable income. I want there to be a college nearby, a hospital nearby, a lot of daytime population where people do the two meals a day, lunch and dinner. Um, So I like high income, parallel to the street, no corners to lease, great visibility and exposure, because that's what the tenants like, and high income and high daytime pop. Those check all of my boxes. And, And it's okay if they have a couple vacancies, but a lot of times investors call and go, you know, can you I'm looking to buy this deal. Will you give me some feedback? I go, sure. They go, we're so excited. We're getting it for $50 a square foot. (laughs) You know, it's way below replacement value. And then I take a look at it and there's four, and I'm not even joking. There's 30 to 40 shopping centers in the vicinity, all like 60% occupied. Well, no no wonder it's 50 bucks a square foot. You're never leasing this. So I'd rather have only five shopping centers in the area and they're all full. So they're all, all their rents are too low. So start, so I start calling the owners. I find, I usually find out that they're, you know, 80 years old. I've, I've literally bought three of my six from 80 year old people that, you know, finally after me, you know, calling them for, you know, every quarter for three or four years. Okay. We've decided to sell. You're the one because you're the top of mind because cool. you keep calling yeah. me, right? I mean, one guy called and said, today's your lucky day. And I said, why is that, Stanley? And he said, I've decided to sell and I'm going to sell to you. Didn't even take it to market. Love that. And I, he goes, there's just one problem. I said, what's that? He said, you got to sell by year end. Whitney, it was December 2nd. Oh, I said, well, boy. Stanley, I, you know, it's, it was a $6 million deal. I said, I'm, I don't have $6 million sitting in the bank. Um, I need to get a mortgage, which I can't do in 30 days of December. So I said, so if, as long as you hold a purchase money mortgage, and then I can refi you out in the first year or two. And he said, no problem. And we, you know, so I've bought three of my deals 
from older people that I just I kind of wore them down, I think, with my calls. Wow. But I, you were I consistent, was top of persistent. Mind. Yes. Yes. Respectfully persistent. And creative on, on the self fin or owner financing. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Uh, Beth, what's been the hardest part of this commercial real estate journey or career for you? Um, I've been early a lot and uh, that's very frustrating. So um, I remember back in 09, I was doing a consulting agreement, a consulting arrangement with a large REIT and I, they, they hired me to train for leasing agents and, and teach them hire four leasing agents and train them over the summer. And they had, the, the, the REIT had 25 shopping centers in South Florida. So we were to canvas and cold call and prospect for those 25 assets. So we spent the whole summer doing that. We were literally, it was me and these four kids right out of college canvassing 50 people a day. So 250 prospects a week. Got, we got 67 leases for this REIT. And they got four people that I trained. It was a, it was a wonderful thing that we did. But while we were out in South Florida prospecting, I kept hearing two or three markets again and again and again from the retailers, the mom and pops that they wanted to locate in. You know, so one was Aventura, which I knew was hot. And one was Boca, we knew was hot. But they also kept saying this submarket called Doral. Everywhere I went, people said Doral, 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 Doral. Well, obviously I'm an investor. I'm smart. I'm like, I've got to go buy something in Doral. And no one, it was not on anyone's radar. So I went and found a great deal. I put it under contract for a six and a half cap. The rents were in the twenties. I knew I could take the rents to the forties. I was too early and no one believed. No one believed. We ended up after 90 days, I had it under contract. I could not raise the funds. I couldn't convince people. I, I was so frustrated. We ended up dropping the contract. And two years later, someone bought it. And the rents there today are in the 60s. Wow. So, so I've been early no. at least five or six times. You know, I tell people, you know, you just can't look back right? You just can't look back. You, what you need to do, what I tell myself is I'm, I, I'm confirming that my instincts are right. And the next time I'll push harder, <laughs> you know, yeah. or have the money so I don't have to raise the money. Yeah. What, how, what about preparing for another downturn or, or how do you prepare for a downturn in retail? Um, well, boy, you know, people, this is for sure, when you close retail for 90 to 120 days or more, this is way worse than 09. But um, we're on fire down here. So in August, I led in my training, I have a bunch of training groups, I led something called the Canvassing Calendar Club Challenge, where on the, the day of the month, we did it in August. So August 1st, we prospected one person, August 10th, 10 people, August 15th, so by the end, I had 32 people signed up. We had 13 finish it and 11 do half. So by the end, so personally, I prospected 506 people. By the end, we had prospected 9,801 9, prospects. Wow. Out of those, this is from all around the country, we have 192 LOIs and 39 leases were signed. From my own personal activity, 
I've signed five leases in the last four weeks and I have 11 LOIs. If only half of those LOIs sign the letters of intent, I'll have reached beyond the number of leases I signed in 2019. So what does that tell us? I just believe that there are smart entrepreneurs that will take advantage of opportunities and with effort and activity, you can find them. And you know, that's what this exercise did it, it because it's, we're, we're crazy, crazy, crazy busy down here in South Florida. What do you predict is going to happen over the next six to 12 months? And you can speak to retail or just real estate, the market in general. Um, you know, what, what do you see or how can we be prepared? You know, like I just got off this call and they're telling, and the, these folks from New York City said that they don't think the people are going to come back to work in New York City for seven months. That, kind, that just kind of shocked me. Uh, I'm, I think we're in a bubble down here. So what I said to this group of, you know, 25 people, I said, so how does that impact us? I said, you know, we need to start calling prospects in New York City because they're smart entrepreneurs up there. And if they're not going to be able to open their restaurants until next June, they're not going to sit around twiddling their thumbs. They should come to South Florida and open restaurants down here. But um, it shocks me to think that we're not going to have these office buildings filled with people for another seven months. I, I just find that incredulous. And I've got to believe we're going to have major defaults and foreclosures in office. Major, major. I mean, and, and I think we're going to see it in hospitality, you know, with tourism, um, as, as bad as it is, I think hotels, we're going to have a lot of empty hotels and a lot of empty office buildings. Um, I, I don't, I think that retail will be hurt in New York City for sure. You know, if they're like they're saying that you can walk down Fifth Avenue and jaywalk back and forth and never hit a car or go. They said we can go 10 blocks and not hit a red light in New York City. So so I'm we're in a bubble down here because we have the weather. We have a lot of influx of population coming from New York and California because of our tax situation and and, you know, and, and we're open. So I'm not as, I, I, you know, familiar with all of these other areas, but I do talk to people and ask them questions all the time because I think we can learn from them other markets and benefits. So, so I, but for sure in Florida, hospitality, we're, def, we're not back to work yet in our downtowns, our CBD districts, central business districts. So I think office and um, hospitality are going to be hurt significantly. Industrial is exceedingly you know, better than it was pre-COVID um, with the whole last mile and the online sales and all of that. So industrial is healthy. I think self-storage will be healthy for sure because I think people will start moving out of downtowns. They're not, they're going to be there because of the uncertainty. I don't think they're going to be committed. And I think they're going to, there's going to be a lot of self-storage being used. So I think that I'm not in that at all, that asset class but I just recommended that to my partner who was looking to invest in a REIT. I think self-storage is going to be fine. Um, I think mobile home parks, I've always been a big believer. If you can find 20 acres, you know, in a good city and it's a mobile home park, you know, buy it. I, I think that's a good uh, investment if it's in the right market. And I think retail is going to be fine. I think, I think Christmas sales are going to be through the roof. I think that consumers have not spent money on vacations. They've not spent money on sleepaway camps for their kids. They've not spent money on back-to-school uniforms. 
They've not spent money on gas. They, um, they have not celebrated Easter, 4th of July, soon to be not Halloween. So I think people are going to decorate their houses crazy. I think they're going to celebrate starting December 1st. And I think parents are going to overspend for their kids. I've been, I've been after toy stores, pop-ups. I've got a hobby store that's opening. I just signed a lease with a pool table pinball machine guy. Um, I think people are going to to do um, that other F, by the way, is furniture, home office furniture. I think people like me who have been, I'm in my office today and I've been going back and forth into my office, but I still don't have a home office. I've been going to like my dining room table, my kitchen table, my bedroom. I have uh, my my boys are teenagers. They don't, they never go in the playroom anymore. I'm going to redo it to do a home office. I think a lot of that's going to happen. So sure. I think Christmas sales are going to be great. You know, everyone, I feel like everyone who has success in, in almost any business, especially this one, uh, has a high level of self-discipline. And I wonder for you, how did you, how did you become disciplined? And are there, you know, to achieve what you've achieved? And, and are there some specific habits that you're disciplined in that have helped you get there? So the thing, the, the one thing that I do religiously and have been doing it for 20 years is every night when I'm about to turn off my light, you know, 11 or 12, I put on my Outlook calendar on my phone, the three important things I need to do the next day that will move the ball. That will be like an offense move. Like th- being on this podcast was not one of the three because it, if, if it's scheduled or if it's urgent, it's going to happen. These are things that you can procrastinate. What are the three things I should do that I could easily procrastinate? And it's usually, you know, new business generation, right? It's, it's calling that 87-year-old guy Stanley knowing he's going to say no because he said no the last 18 times, right? That is easily procrastinated. So I try to do three of those a day. And if I do three of those a day, I normally get 12 done a week. I normally, you know, there's always some that I'll not get around to. But if I can do 12 of those a week and they're forward moving things, um, that really, really, really helps me. And that, that's really the thing I focus on. You know, I, I try to time block. I'll go prospecting. Like I like to go prospecting, you know, every Wednesday from two to five, you know, so I do things like that. Being consistent. yeah. Being consistent, you know, and time blocking. What's a way that you've recently improved your business that we could apply to our business? Doing this challenge. So, uh, so there's a, there's an author. I'm, are you, are you familiar with him? Jesse Itzler. He wrote a book called living with uh, the seal. I'm not. So he is the husband of Sarah the owner, the CEO of Spanx. So, and he, in his own right, created an airline company and sold it to Buffett. And he also created a coconut water company. So this is like a power couple, Jesse Itzler and and his wife, Sarah. So I watched uh, in February, Jesse run the calendar challenge. So he ran one mile, two miles, three, you know, all, and, and in February is a leap year. He's like, of course I had to pick, you know, I had to do 29 miles. But he was running and I said, okay, I could never run. I'm not an athlete, I could never run. And then in March or April, his son, his 10-year-old son biked it. And I watched his 10-year-old son bike 496 miles in the month of, you know, whatever, May. 
And I said, now I think I could bike it. Like, I don't think I've ever, I've never biked more than 10 miles, but I think I could bike it. And it was July, only the, one of the hottest months in South Florida, but I was itching to get out of the house and do something physically. And so I did it and I posted it on social media and I, you know, everyone kept me accountable. And on the 15th day, I almost quit, but I didn't. And I ended up biking 496 miles. And while I was doing it, I said, I can do this with my coaching clients on prospecting. Mm. And as I'm biking, I'm formulating this challenge and this contest and thinking, what would it do for my business? I have an intern. She did 496. We did 1,000, which now I have 11 LOIs that I'm t if, if half of those sign, we'll have done more business and more leasing than all of last year. So that has transformed. I, I want to do that four times a year. If I have the nice. vacancy, I might not have the vacancy, which is why this past weekend I went driving looking for deals to buy, which I haven't done in a couple months. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Work, work ethic, because it's the only thing you can control. You can't mm -hmm. control COVID. You can't control a boss. You can't control a partner. But boy, you can control your own work ethic. And how do you like to give back? So I mentor tons and tons of people. Um, during COVID, we started something called the Freshman Forum because in 09, in the retail industry, we lost an entire generation of people. So like, right, I get a call, like before COVID, I would get a call every other week. I'm looking for a leasing agent with five to 10 years experience and they don't exist because in 09, when we had the crash, all the young people left the industry and no one, none of the vets thought it was important enough to keep them. So at the beginning of COVID, I said, we're going to, I'm not going to let that happen again. And I created something called the Freshman Forum, where every Friday from four to six, the first one, we had 680 people, eight kids on this call. We ended up having about 60 to 75 religiously. We did it for 12 weeks. And then we changed it to monthly. And now we, do, we have two, three more months left and we have a, we, literally 40 to 50 and we kept these kids in the industry. Some of them got let go. We found them jobs. I matched them up with, I matched 211 with mentors and we just held onto them and said, don't give up on the industry. We'll figure it out together. And I think I helped the industry by doing that because I saw what happened in 09 and it, it really hurt us. Wow. Beth, thank you for sharing that. Appreciate you giving back in that way and keeping people in the industry uh, and that, that fire alive for the real estate and retail business. So uh, grateful for your time today and just sharing your 35 years of experience in retail. Uh, it's definitely an asset class. We don't have a ton of people come on the show, you know, even that, that specialize in retail. So I'm grateful for that and just laying out your, your four F's and, you know, and even diving through those and, and different things you've talked about has been very helpful uh, for us. And I know the investors that are looking at retail as well. Uh, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about you? Uh, so my uh, email is beth at azoradvisoryservices.com, azoradvisoryservices.com, but also LinkedIn as uh, just Beth Azor. So either of those two. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital 
making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.